The Sunshine Patriot in a crisis shrinks from the service of their country. But winter is coming. Did you hear the call? Winter is coming, and we know what is coming with it. No matter your thoughts or convictions, you must be prepared for the hardships that come with the winter. No matter your current position on the journey, stay a while. This is where you can find the tools and the fire to continue on your path. Join Odin and Fear and answer. Hello, welcome to another episode of Winter's Call Podcast. This is a bonus episode, I guess, technically. It's a prepping episode because the news is so fucking chaotic and trash, and it moves so fast about the fascism in our country that, you know, the prepping episode, which is ones that we like to do because they're informative and they're not political, uh... You know, the reasons why we prep may be political, but how you prep really isn't. Um, I'll say, honestly, I have a lot more fun with these and some of our other episodes. Like I do, too, because we don't get, you know, we don't get mad. We just discuss information in different ways. So this specific episode is going to be focused on <gasps> shelters. Any shelter in the storm, as they say. Remember our oh. rules of three, that you get uh, three minutes without oxygen. Three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food, and three seconds without hope. So, well, we're short on hope. We haven't really discussed hope very much, but well, look, we started food with and food and then we went water, so we're just shrinking our <laughs> so, time span. Now we're at the three-hour mark. All right, so no, but uh, so shelter. I think this is going to be the biggest difference between our our ideologies when it comes to prepping or survival will be on shelter i i actually agree with you because uh when it comes to prepping shelter's not a huge issue because especially if you have a homestead or you have a bug out location already set up for long term shelter's not so much of an issue what you're talking about with when we had talked about this particular episode was stuff that was pretty much you're out in the open, you're away from your bug out location, or you need to fucking move across country, and it's survival, not prepping. Well, even, well, correct. Now, there's one thing we are going to, like, survival and prepping has one thing in common when it comes to shelter. You want three things. Dry. You want dry. You want something that insulates or blocks the wind. Right. And the other one, you want some form of durability fair but again in survival situation if it's one that you're moving like uh that you're only going to be in for a day you can get away with the without the durability one as long as you know any port in the storm type of philosophy because uh, right. let's be honest we have we live in a country where there are buildings everywhere like everywhere and in a you know, in a situation where I would prep, most of those buildings are going to be either full of dead people uh, or desperate people. Um, and you want to avoid that. But there will be a lot of shelter that can be had because I'm looking at, you know, between a 70 and 90% fatality rate in the year. So mine is like, okay, after in that first year, I need how to move around, how to stay alive for that first year. After that, you know, you have buildings everywhere, houses everywhere. The ability to build things more, you know, more, the, the ability to have more stability. Yeah. And even in a prepping situation right now, like if something bad was to happen, there were, there are still buildings you can go to, to sleep for a night. Yours is more like if you're on the run, you have to avoid, say it's, not COVID-19, but it's a, a it's a, a zombie plague or it's one that's really devastating where you want to be out of the cities because it spreads more there. Or you have a public unrest situation where you want to stay away from towns and cities. You can't just like find an abandoned House grocery store. Yeah. Barn or something. Well, you know, funnily enough, one of the things I look for when I look for, for shelter, if I, even if I was in an urban situation, I wouldn't want to use most buildings. Because you want some, if you're in a building, you want to have you know entrance, exit, but you don't know anything about the stability of that place. 
regret. But one quick thing. We mentioned, you know, blocking the wind, insulation. Now, this is useful for both preppers and survivalists to understand. What is the number one insulator? Newspaper. No. Bodies? Still, no, still. <laughs> trick question. <laughs> I like that answer, but not one that we can, uh, we can use on air very easily. Uh, no, actually still air. Oh, yeah, that's how insulation works. That's the insulation so, factor. So when you're looking at it, it doesn't uh, – I, one thing I was thinking about is, you know, preppers like you, you're going to have a base. You're going to have a building that's already ready to go. But what if you don't have that? Or what if you're looking for something like that? If you're in a frigid environment, you do not want to go into a sheet metal building. That's all it is, a sheet metal. That is true. You need that still airspace. Yeah. When you're heating it specifically – yeah, specifically when you're heating it. When it's uh, when it's more like very hot, then you want something with a lot of airflow. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's look at it this way. If you sit here, well, you still want insulation in the heat because it will keep the heat, the radiant heat from outside from coming into your space. But I mean, let's look at it. The, today's houses uh, are not good examples of shelter. I'll give you a perfect example. Mine is... My house is 4,000 square feet, right? 4,000 square feet. It is a bitch to keep cold in the summer and a bitch to keep warm in the winter, right? You, like, close off. I do what they did back in the uh, 18 and 1900s, where if you have a house where people were occupied, that is the one that you heat and cool. And the other ones, eh, you know, whatever. If I go in there, then I can air it out, right? Because the house is a very old house, right? So it's not efficient, right? But most houses today are the same way. They're, you know, that people get people get houses that are big because they feel it's a status symbol. Or they get a house that's big because uh, to keep their shit, right? To keep so their bigger, stuff. It's a simple statement. Is bigger is not always better. Big house, big bills. And if you are in a situation where you don't have electricity or you don't have, you know, water, big house equals pain in the fucking ass. Well, yeah. I mean, if I sit here, if the grid was to go down on my house that has 4,000 square feet, right? If my, if the grid was to go down, I have fireplaces and I have fans and windows, well, and luckily you're in a place like Florida, so it doesn't get exceptionally cold. So it's not as big of a worry. Like, like if your house is up here in Kentucky with me, where we get down to, you know, regularly in the 20s, teens, and sometimes even zero, uh, you know, you have to worry about the water pipes freezing and busting or things like that. You would have to keep that, you know, amount of fuel you would need to keep those fireplaces going. Yeah. To keep it all warm. Yeah, I have seven fireplaces. Holy crap. Wait a second. At one fireplace, and I go through about one, two, three cords of wood. And mom and dad's place, yeah, close to it. God, I couldn't imagine what seven fireplaces would take. That's a lot of yeah. That's that's why he says you've got one person whose job is to build a fire and split wood. That is their one job. Yep. <laughs> yep. But no, in shell and survival though, you're looking for something small. You want something as small as functionally possible right like your house yeah fair enough i mean my my cabin is what it's um 16 feet wide by i believe 32 feet long right so your house is designed very compact it is all the space that you need would you believe it if i told you that uh two little six inch space eaters you know they usually put in a bathroom keep my house warm all winter I believe it. I believe it, considering that my downstairs living room is the size of your house. <laughs> yeah, but in your case, you know, bigger is better. I don't know. Wait, wait, wait. All those. How big is your cabin? 14 feet wide by 30 feet long, I believe. My 
No, master, it's 14 by 28. My Sorry, master 14. bedroom, the room that I am currently, if I don't include any closets, right? If I don't include any closets, just that the bedroom alone is bigger than your house. Christ. And it has its own fireplace. Well, you know, it's interesting that somebody made a comment to me that's like, you talk about prepping, but you don't have a wood stove. It's like, I actually have a pot belly stove. And I have not put it in. I have coal. I have wood. Uh, I also have natural gas. And I have a place that is set up where I can actually remove my refrigerator from it and put my pot belly stove. The problem is, I decided to simulate what it would take. Dude, I could burn like three sticks of wood and I would have to literally have every window in this place open. I was going to say, <laughs> with as small as your house is, I mean, like, like I have, I have one of those, uh, what is it, eight by six uh, in the corner of my room, right? And mm. when it gets really cold, right, I may turn it on, right, on medium, but by the end of the night, I'm pulling blankets off. I can't imagine what a pop stove would do in that day. Dude, okay, like, I have to be careful because those two space heaters, I have one in one side of the house and one that, uh, to understand, like, so my bedroom's on one end of the house, the kitchen and dining room's on the other, and the bathroom's right in the middle, right? Yeah. So I have one in the kitchen because that's where most of my water pipes are, and I have one that goes into the bathroom where the rest of my water pipes are. Do you know how many times it has been 32 degrees and I had to go out there and turn those both off because it is so freaking hot in this house? But that's also because I, uh, I purposely, interestingly enough, this is going to play in. I have a black roof. Okay. So any sun that comes down is going to start warming the house. Oh, yeah. And then I have uh, the foam insulation uh, R14. Okay. Uh, I believe R, is it R32. I can't remember now off the top of my head, but I've got uh, everything insulated, but I also have my roof is not your standard A-frame roof, right? right? So mine's set up like you know the outside of the cabin is, but my ceiling is set up kind of like the top half of a, of a stop sign. Okay. Right? And that is all insulated as well. So when anything like in the in the summer when I have AC going on, I can literally turn on the AC for a couple of hours and the house will stay cool. Turn it off, the house will stay cool even though it's 90 degrees outside. It'll still be in the, you know, between 60 and 70 in the house after just 2 hours of AC. But that's something, you know, it's something you look at when you're looking at building a shelter. If you've got something, if you've got, you know, if you want heat, get something dark. Cuz it's going to absorb all the heat from the sun. Right. The other thing is insulation. So whenever you're building a shelter, it doesn't matter how simple it is. Like I use uh, whenever I, I've used it when I was you know, teaching my little brother how to do, you know, wilderness camping is what we call it. Using pine branches, I make a frame. Right. Right. And I lay down. I, I lay down like even if I'm doing a lean to I lay down a solid, solid little ceiling. And then I actually pack about two feet of pine boughs. And then I put another roof over top of it. Oh, yeah. You and can sit there and you can sit there and have six feet of snow around me. I'm going to be toasty on the inside of that thing. Now I have done I have done a lot of survival training and uh, backcountry backpacking and stuff like that. So I sit here. I've done stuff like uh, uh, I always build my shelter off the ground. Yep. Uh, and uh, I sit here and I do the pine boughs. I've done the. And that's why when you said what's the best insulating material, I'm going to tell you what. If you are absolutely cold, get old newspaper and crumble up and put it in your clothes. It keeps that still air barrier within the crinkles of the of the uh, material. It is reasonably pleasant even in cold weather climbs. I mean, we've done snow camping. Right where we go into the snow, and we actually use the snow and the ice as a as a shelter in and of itself. Uh, where we've done the discreet, I've even camped, or I even did a training scenario where we hid inside of a tree or up a tree. Right, <laughs> it it is uncomfortable, but any port in the storm. I would say it it sucks, but it can be useful. It reminds me of you. You want to know my favorite book growing up? What? My Side of the Mountain. 
I don't think I've read that one. You should. The kid runs away from home and he finds a tree that's that's kind of half rotten on the inside. He ends up hollowing it out and building himself a little home inside this ginormous tree. <laughs> <laughs> and he's in the Adirondack Mountains. Uh, it, it, but no, it's it's different things. Like you find, like if you can find a little cleft between rocks, if you can find a cave. Uh, people laugh at me all the time. Like, well, aren't caves damp? I was like, yeah, but if you build a fire in a cave and you have a little area, caves do not change temperature. Yeah, that is actually why when we were looking for survival locations, we were looking for places in the Appalachians uh, because they're old mountains. Uh, they're geologically stable for the most part. Um, and you can build into the rock structure or the natural caves that are there and store food for an indefinite amount of time because <clears throat> as long as you can control the humidity or keep your supplies free from the humidity, the temperatures do not change. And like Kentucky, Tennessee area, they have great cave systems. Uh, I got that... one near me called Wind Cave that you could go in there and it's literally people have done it. They actually uh, there was actually a part where we found out some guy had been living in there for a couple of years. Yeah. Comfortably. Yeah. I would love that. That is my, you know, I, I love that kind of stuff. Living out in nature. My, 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 if I could say like my pristine spot, like the perfect spot for me, it'd be a small cave with hot springs. Fair. With a, with a, and that's all you would need. All right. For, for a comfortable living, you've got somewhere to bathe. You've got, you know, relatively fresh water. You've got, you know, heat during the, the, the winter. winter. You can move. Yeah. You can move a little further away from the spring and the, in the summer, you know, you've got shelter because no matter how hard it snows, thunders, rains, or pours outside, you're pretty relatively same in the center. As yeah. long as it's not a, as long as, it, as long as it's not a cave that has like a creek running through it that's going to wash you out in an arroyo. But no, I mean, think about this though. What is one of the simplest shelters you could possibly create? Something Honest, from, yeah. Honestly, yeah. It, I want to hear yours. It depends on it. It. <clears throat> It depends on where you're living uh, because the easiest one is, you know, those pine trees that have the center underneath of them that are totally barren of anything that's growing. Uh, that is the perfect place to set up. I mean, you literally need one tarp just to sit here, waterproof it, and you're done. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, even then, if you were to, if you didn't have a tarp, all you have to do is you need mud and some pine boughs. Yeah instantaneously done i mean you throw the mud you you coat the pine boughs in the mud now you've got a slab done cover it up i mean it's temporary one of the ones i like doing is a is a simple you know you've got one pole on on each end pole goes to the center you lay your pine boughs out like a tent yeah you can get away with that you do an open lean you know open face lean to easy done two things i would suggest carrying in your car though <laughs> a tarp that is incredibly useful and here's the one that everybody looks at me funny for. Get you one of those old-fashioned downy comforters. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That old throw that your grandma used to have across the bed. And leave it in your trunk, leave it in your backseat, leave it somewhere. But get one of the big ones. Why? Because in the winter, you can wrap yourself up in that, and it can be 30 below. It's not going to matter. I do emergency blankets. And uh, we have emergency blankets and mummy bags. I was going to say, I have both of those, but I also have a downy comforter for two reasons. Uh, one, if all else fails, that's going to keep you warm. Two, look, if I don't have to sleep on a rock-hard ground, then I'm going to fold that downy comforter up a couple of times and lay on top of it. There you go. Yeah, yeah, I'll get that. <laughs> well, no, it's like... carrying it in the back of your car, I mean, done. Well, you know, uh, what I have found is that in the state of Florida... It is very, very hard to find cold weather gear. Like, you can find... Huh, I wonder why. Well, <laughs> I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. Like, you can find super, super thin, <clears throat> super, super light sleeping bags. And for most situations, that's fine. But if you get, like... You know, they're only good to, like, 40 degrees. If you get below 40 degrees, you're screwed. You know... 
So to find three season or four season sleeping bags in Florida is damn near impossible. And when you ask people, do you have any four season sleeping bags? And they're like, what? <laughs> the hell is that? Now, if you have a choice, I will say this. If you have a choice between a, a, a feather down sleeping bag and a synthetic sleeping bag, get the synthetic for one reason. The downy comforter or the downy sleeping bag will actually keep you warmer in colder temperatures. However, if it gets wet, it clumps up, it molds, it gets, it can get dangerous. Whereas with the synthetic ones, they don't usually clump up. Well, I buy mummy bags. Do you know what mummy bags are? Yeah, where you're sleeping, you look like a damn Eskimo because the only thing you can see is about this much of your face. Yeah, and you don't even have to show that much. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I do just because I, I, I hate the fact that sometimes I get, okay, look. The between last time I between one, that and an emergency blanket. You're pretty much set. Yeah. But no, a funny story. Uh, so I have mummy bags. I have two of them. Um, the last time I slept in one and it was cold. So I closed it all the way up and I woke up in the middle of the night and had to take a leak. Right. I could not find the opening to the damn mummy bag. It took me 20 minutes to finally figure out where it was because it's one of the ones that zips. Right. <laughs> and then it closes. I couldn't find a zipper, couldn't find anything. Do not flop it around looking like a, a grub worm trying to get out of that damn thing. Or you could have total asshole friends who will tie you off inside of your mummy bag and then hang you upside down so you can be a cocoon. I did that to a guy in a hammock with his mummy bag. I tied the the, the oh, I love on. hammocks. I love hammocks. Look, I know it sounds dumb, guys, but if you can, if and they're relatively easy to have, you can roll one up pretty tight. But keep your hammock in the back in your go bag or in your in your trunk. If you get a hammock and a tarp, you're done. Yeah, for most until it gets really freaking cold, then you're then you're gonna have problems. Then you need the mummy bag to go with it. Yeah, but I still like to be able to leave the mummy bag and not freeze. But I you know think about this though. What were the three things you need? Weatherproofing, so it needs to be dry. Needs dry, to be durable, and insulated. It's not that difficult. Look in your local area. You know, we keep telling you all what you can do, you know, on a on a broad scope, but look in your local area. You know, if you've got places that have a lot of bushes, well, okay, great. But you also need to know what poison ivy looks like. Avoid the leaves of three. Yeah, if it looks like if it's got leaves of three, it looks like a hand. Just leave it alone. Yeah. You know, shelter is is important, but it's also probably one of the easiest things to find. It is because it's infinitely adaptable. It just all all shelter, just like all prepping, is that there's different levels. Based off of your comfort level. Uh, as it gets more expensive to prepare for it, the comfort level goes up. Or, and, and it's not necessarily comfort, it might be weight. Right, It makes it easier to carry. If When you start to compare, you know, the more expensive they get doesn't necessarily mean better. It just means more comfortable for you. Um. Because like, you can build everything that you need in nature if you have but, the 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 training and the uh I want to say imagination, but I think it it it's more determination to I'll sit here and survive. The, the determination and creativity is the only thing that really limits you in building a shelter. You were talking about, you know, more expensive it gets. You you remember those uh, they're like the eight or ten person canvas white tents. Yeah, they used to be able to get the big, huge, heavy ones that you would never take camping if you had to carry it. Right. <laughs> if I had my choice, that's what I would have. I don't think I'd do the white ones. I I like the military green ones. They're the same basic principle. They're just yeah, it's the same thing. But you know, hey, but I'm, then... I'm gonna be honest with you. The last time I bought a tent for my family, right? I'm starting to get older, right? You bought when a pop-up, didn't you? I bought a six-person pop-up tent. It literally takes me three fucking minutes to set it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking a nap now. 
Oh, I don't interestingly care. Interestingly enough, <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna take if you're gonna use a tent, and you're gonna be using it for a long period of time, right? Something a lot of people don't ever pay attention to. They think, okay, let's just pop up the tent. We'll you know throw down a tarp, pop up the tent, throw on the rain fly. We're done. No. You should if you're gonna use it for a long period of time. You should also cover the top part in a tarp. Where there's space between the tent and the tarp. I'd say about a foot and a half or so, if you can. And the reason why is the more still air that you have around, the better insulated and better sheltered you're going to be. So I'm going to tell you the story of the greatest dude with a tent I've ever met in my life. (laughs) All right, let's see. We went camping when my youngest was in Cub Scouts. We went camping. In the middle of August in Florida. Let that sink in. We went camping. No electricity in August. It was the mo- it was the hottest, most miserable experience of my life. But there was a dude who stayed inside of his tent for most of the week. That we were camping. This dude had a tent. He covered it in eight tarps. He had an extension cord that was long enough that allowed him. He had a fucking air conditioner in his tent. (laughs) It was pitch black. He had lights in there. Like there was like places you could plug in. And most people had like fans to plug in. And this dude had an air conditioner. And an outlet. He had a portable air conditioner that he sit here and he put inside of his tent. He covered it so it was pitch black. He had an extension cord so we had lights in there. This dude would like come out of the tent for the meetings and then go right back in the tent. <laughs> you all were going on a sauna safari. I don't blame him. Oh, uh, that Who was goes camping in the middle of August in the humid Florida. Hor- horrible planning. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Oh, okay, planning. okay, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I can only imagine what the mosquitoes were like. My son had the worst. He was done camping. He does not like to camp anymore. I mean, he'll camp in our yard in a tent, but it can't be summer. <laughs> no, I can't say I blame him there either. I'll tell you what. Back to the da- the the. Back to the the mummy bags. I was camping with my dad. We went backpacking. And I grabbed one of the synthetic ones. And dad grabbed, he old school. He grabbed one of the downy ones. Mine was, uh, his was a 10-pound bag. Mine was a 5-pound bag. Right? I thought I was smart. I was like, all right. It's rated all the way down to, all the way down to zero. The low is supposed to be maybe 35. We're good. Can we get up there? It drops to 18. I, I, I get up in the morning and dad looks at me. He goes, what is wrong? He's like, I fucking hate you. He goes, why do you hate me? I was like, because you snored all night. And I sat over here shivering all night. Yeah. You know what? That bag may say it's survivable and rated up to zero degrees. That does not mean it's going to be comfortable. All right. You're just here, not going to freeze to death. Here's, here's what I've learned. Right. Here's what I've learned. Right. When backcountry backpacking in places that get below zero degrees and even colder. Right. I have learned to always carry those little hand warmer things. (laughs) The ones you shake and it warms up. Yeah. And you sit here and you get in there, you put all of your clothes in there with you. Right. Around generally around your legs. Because it keeps the legs warm. And, uh, so, and then you put in the, a couple of the hand warmers, they have foot warmers and body warmers now, right? So you get, a, okay, here's a secret. My wife is Florida born, Florida raised, and she hates the cold. If it gets below 70 degrees, I'm, I'm fighting with her to not turn on a heater. Just let that. I'm glad. I'm glad you pointed that out because I was about to mention that. (laughs) We're not talking cold. We're talking anything below seventy. Just just let that sink in, right? My wife had a job that would not allow that she had to be outside in the cold, 
And she worked the last winter that she worked, right? It got down to 15 degrees here. She made me buy her thermal underwear and those body heaters. So she can, once they're used, they won't go through a metal detector, right? Because they've got iron in them, right? And they harden after they've run out, right? She made me pack her a regiment. She had, because they last eight hours and she worked a 12-hour shift, right? She made me put two bodies, four toes, and four hand warmers so that she could put them all in inside of her uniform and would be okay. Plus, she wore the thermal underwear and the jacket. And it's like, are you warm enough? No. Long John's <laughs> in Florida. Who to believe it? Hey, 15 degrees in the state of Florida is not unheard of where I, in the part I'm from. Well, that's because you're in that part that can't decide if it's Florida or Georgia. Yeah. I mean, we got snow, you know. I had to tell you it snowed today. Yeah. Okay, now it's a big old fat flake. So it's like, we're going to have a white Christmas. Who the hell was I thinking? Because, I mean, it's Kentucky. We don't have white Christmases here. It was all gone. Now I've got just a solid sheet of mud. Right. I remember when I was in Colorado, we used to hear, and we would get white Halloweens. It would snow, like, almost every Halloween. Right. And then I come here. And I'm like, I am never going to see snow again in my life. And then I met my <laughs> wife and got married. And she's like, we're staying in Florida. I'm like, I'm never going to see snow in my life. So the first year that we moved up here, up to where we're at now, right? It's here and it got really cold. And they were talking about rain and sleet. And I went out at like four in the morning and it was snowing. So I got out my video. So now every time I sit here and people go, it doesn't snow in Florida. I go, ha ha. I have a copy of the, I have a video. (laughs) You got those receipts. (laughs) But shelter differs from location to location based on where you are. Like you're not going to be sleeping in the crevice of a rock in a desert. No. Because that rock is going to retain the heat for a really long time, which actually might be good because uh, dry At night, dry air Ooh. deserts. The 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 rule of thumb is the less of the humidity means that the hotter the air can get faster, but it also cools off faster. So you can have hot days and very cold nights. And I have lived in a desert environment, and they are correct. <laughs> so the thing about you know shelter again in a survival situation remember you need it as small as functionally possible and you're looking to keep dry you're looking for insulation and you're looking for something that's not just going to break the second something touches it correct 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 and that again it'll depend on where you're at like it, it like i could tell you how many i could do here using pine branches but you don't have a lot of pine trees where you're at i have a shit ton of pine trees oh I couldn't remember which exact part you were in. All of Florida has pine trees. Don't let anybody fool okay, you. Okay, those don't those don't count as pine trees. I'm those not talking shrubs. No, no, no. I'm talking pine tree pine trees. They're all over Florida. That is the con- know, uh, let, not just scrub pines. No, no. Let me let me tell you. My uh, we have uh, pole pines where all of the greenery is like fifty feet in the air. But because they sit here and they grow so, like, weeds, right? You have so many different stages. You can find pine trees. That that is not a problem, right? What tripped my mom out the first time that she ever came to Florida was she sits here. She goes, I can't believe how many pine trees are in this state. I said, yeah, you know those palm trees? Yeah. Down in South Florida, they're used for decoration. They may grow there, right? You know, the sago palms and palm fronds, right? All of that kind of stuff. And that's what it is associated. But there are there are by far many, many, many more pine trees than there are palm trees. I guess that makes sense having been down in the swamp. I should have I should realize that, but huh. Well, it's like to use pine trees. Oh, then I guess in that area, you could use it all the way up and down the East Coast. Most of the time when you find a lot of pine trees, it'll be in your northern climes. 
the good fluffy ones. Yeah, I'm not okay. Talking about the scrub pines. Fair, fair. I'll give you that. Like specifically, if you can find like the fir trees, the fir pines or the sugar pines are the ones that you're talking about that usually they'll grow in a little clump and then it's just bald. It's just bare dirt and needles in the center of the tree. Yeah. That's something that's perfect. It doesn't get a lot of wind. You could just, you waterproof Your it. spruces, those yeah. types, yeah. Look for something like that. But you even if you don't have those, look for something that's got a lot of leaves. Maybe you have to stack a few more on it. Maybe you have to make it to where you can change it out every now and then if the leaves dry out. But the one thing I'm going to tell you never, ever, ever do Unless you have a chimney, never put your fire on the inside of your shelter. Because you will smoke yourself up. Right. I don't know how many, how many times I've watched people that built shelters. They end up having, it ends up destroying or they get sick because they've got all that smoke that they're inhaling. Yeah. Well, in, in Florida, uh, swamp areas, your better, better than pine trees will be your salt palmettos and your palms. They are huge. Uh, you get so many different varieties, different widths. You can pick and choose, and they stack reasonably well. Yep. So just remember those three things. Uh, remember that you're only your determination and your creativity, right? That's all that really stops you from building a decent shelter. Now, if we're talking longer term shelter, now you're looking at different things. Now you're looking at making it more sturdy, like building a log lean to or something along those lines. I'll be honest with you, and this is going to sound funny. You and me, I, I, we haven't we haven't actually discussed this before. My go-to for long-term is to build a a small cabin-style structure and then bury it. Fair. Because it stays insulated, it stays warm, it stays cool in the in the summer, and it's a lot more durable. In Florida, may yeah, I recommend? May no no may recommend pontoons. No, no, well that too. But if you're going to build, you can build underground if you know where your water line is during the wettest parts of the year. And what you do is you dig down to the water line. You lay down a pond liner and then fill the walls and make the walls out of sandbags. Because the one thing that Florida has is sand. You just fill up those sandbags from what you take in the hole, you put in the sandbag, set the sandbag off to the side, get down to where you want, put the sandbags in, build it in a circular pattern because it's stronger than a wall, right? And then sit here and build a top covered in dirt, done. That's the, the way, only way to have a root cellar in Florida. <laughs> Fair. I was like, By the way, if you're in a situation where you're wanting to build one, because I built mine above ground and then I, I buried dirt around it. Right. That's what I, that's what I do. But if you're doing that, you can do the same thing here in in like my area of Kentucky because most of what we have is red clay. Right. So you can pack that into bags or you can, you know, what another thing you can do is get it if you can tell the difference between the clay and the regular dirt, use that to cover the outside and it almost becomes hardened like adobe. But you can still stuff it into irregular dirt into a bag, sandbag, and make it work. It just will not be as effective you want to know how to make it more effective <laughs> you make them into mud and then you uh let them set no weave them with barbed wire did you see that video i sent you it says release the dangerous linky yeah yeah, yeah. i love that one. <laughs> no if you sit here and you fill your sandbags full of sand or clay. barbed wire instead of just like chicken wire or something well okay here's how it works right the barbs on the barbed wire will poke into the bags and keep them from moving. They lock them together. It's kind of like Velcro. Okay, I've always just put a, uh, put you know, dig it, put the, the sandbags, and then build a small frame on the outside of it. That's what I've always done, but I didn't know you could do it that way. That's kind of cool. I learned something new today. And I'm in, I'm in, uh, in cattle raising country, so I've got lots of barbed wire. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I've got like I've got like four thousand feet of barbed wire from my previous Holy property, shit. right? So my son sits here and goes, "Can we put barbed wire on the property?" I said, "One, no. Two, no. And three, I have other plans for it." <laughs> Fair, but no, it's you know, again, there's a lot of different things you can do. Like if you have a tarp, you know, we mentioned this earlier. You know, if you have a tarp, you're pretty much set. 
you can build a simple frame and make a make a tent out of it. Yes. You do better making a teepee than you would a tent, but that's just me. Fair. You could also one thing I will tell you, and Odin, see if you agree with me on this. You're gonna you never want to build a flat roof if you can help it. Very, very true. I've noticed how many times people have built, you know, and, and they'll go, well, this is how it showed me in the survival magazine. It's like, I'll bet the survival magazine told you that it should be at a slight incline or a slight angle because you do not want water pooling on top. Very true. But no, again, your, your uh, determination and your creativity are really all that stops you, even from longer term. Like there are basics to building a shelter. But beyond that, you can make just about anything. Yep. It's up use, to you and your creativity. Use the stuff that you have on hand and make sure that it's not stuff you care a whole lot about. If you're if if you're on the run or you're stranded in a certain location and you're making your way in a certain direction, like you know where your bug out location is, don't make it out of stuff that you can't afford to lose. Because as we know, if you have shelter and people are actively looking for you or people are stalking you, hunting you, whatever, right, then you, you may be forced, me. you may be forced to abandon your shelter. Oh. And I just think about it, though, just look in your local area and look up simple things. I mean, get on Google and look up a simple tent. If you understand that design, you can literally build a shelter at just about anywhere. Also, look in your local area, or say you're not going to bug in. You're going to go somewhere when the government comes for you, or whatever natural disaster, right? Get printable maps for that entire area. Ones that show waterways. Because though you can't survive in... Horrible weather for longer than three hours, unless you live in Alaska in the middle of winter or South Dakota or, you know, Wisconsin. Hey, don't be dog and balder like that. Or Minnesota, you know, those types of places, right? Montana, right? Unless you're in those super, super cold places, right? You sit here and you're going to need water more than you're going to need shelter. Pretty much. So you need shelter, food, water, and air. Well, if you don't have air, you're not going to be surviving for long anyway. That's true. Oh, one other note: if you decide that you want to put your 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 shelter underground, like a longer term shelter area, or even a bug out shelter, fallout shelter, or root cellar, make sure that you have proper airflow. Heaven forbid that you are to die because you build this nice little ground, you know, underground spot, but don't have the proper amount of airflow. You need an intake and an outtake. Make sure that you have proper amount of airflow. And that's easy. It really is. If you're building underground, build several chimneys. Build at least two. One if you're putting a fire in for the smoke and the other one for airflow coming in. And one going out. Yeah. <clears throat> well, if you build a big enough chimney, you don't have to worry about that as usual. Mm, that's true. If you're talking smaller tubes, then yeah. Pardon me. Wow. Were you into that? That was ammo? rude. <laughs> That was rude. So is there anything else you... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Here, I got a good one. If you're looking for a bug out location, since we're talking about shelter, if you're looking for a bug out location, there are certain things that you should look for. One, you want to have one that you have access to water. Two, you want one that is a minimum of 100 miles away from any significant population. We're talking about greater than 75,000 people. Now, you can get away with that last one a little bit, if you live in some, like, so just outside of Somerset, right? Somerset's a decently sized town. 
about if you go about 25 miles, you enter what's referred to as a wilderness zone. There's nothing there for 60, 70 miles either direction. No, but that, that, the being alone is not what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm talking about. When a population center collapses, say the grid goes down, right? No electricity, right? People are going to scavenge and destroy everything within the major population centers and then spread. If it is an EMP where nothing can drive 100 miles, right, is enough that most people are not going to walk that far. Fair. Uh, if it's not a grid down situation or it's not an EMP, so vehicles still work, then you just want one that's hard to get to. <laughs> well, that's what I like about that one area. If I ever... And I mentioned that because I want you to look at areas like this whenever you're whenever you're looking around. Man, I've got the hiccups. But the thing I like about it is it, it's all mountains and hollers. Yeah. Like there's no easy way of getting in or out. Right. Like it it, it may only be like uh, the, when I figured it out, there's a place out there called Goochland. It's a cave that we went to, but I broke my leg. Do you know how long it took for them to get out there? It took them six and a half hours to get out to me. Wow. As I say, when you look for areas like that, you look for places that are hard to get to, but not just, and, and another thing is, don't just look for a small creek. Because it well, in the spring and the fall, it may be wonderful, but it'll be dry in the summer. Yep. Look for something that's got a decent amount of water. And you also want, and again, this is subjective, but if you're going to grow anything, you want at least some portion of level level ground. Or alternate planning methods, which I think it should actually yeah, be yeah. Our, our, our next podcast is we talked about food. I mean, because really, I can't prepare you for I can't prepare you for life without oxygen because it's only three and a half minutes, you know, three minutes at most. And then it's, I mean, hold your breath, bro. Hold your breath. There's seals that can hold it for five minutes. I'm not a seal, jackass. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna be dead in three minutes i'm just saying three minutes shit i'll be dead i'll be dead unless there's no way i'd be able to keep up with that but no um another thing to look for look at uh, we'll, we'll talk about the alternate you know growing methods later but you also want something that look for runoff and what i mean is if you're on a hillside or you're you know you're close to one, look at the look at the ground and look at the and see if there's any places that look like it's eroded, because you don't want to build there, you don't want to camp there. Right. I learned this lesson the hard way when I was out in New Mexico. We were camping, beautiful flat area, and there hadn't been rain in weeks. But uh, I kept hearing we were we were camping, and it was about one o'clock in the morning. And I kept hearing a rumbling sound. Couldn't figure out what it was, but we woke everybody up, grabbed our tents. It's like, hey, something's just not right. Grabbed them, threw them back on the uh, on the trucks, and we were driving away. And not five minutes later, flash flood come running right through. Oh, yeah. That's why it was a flat, smooth area. Yeah. Like, just pay attention. Use common sense. You'd be surprised that, you know, just common sense will save you a lot of trouble, a lot of heartache. Yeah, and also when you're looking for shelter and bug out locations, understand the natural, the natural severe weather that exists in that area. For example, I live in Florida. I usually look for places that a hurricane is not going to remove from the map, <laughs> right? But I don't have to necessarily prep for earthquakes, right? I don't have to prep for winter storm warnings. I don't have to prep for the Yellowstone volcano exploding. I don't have to, you know, those aren't things that I need to worry about, right? Wildfires, torrential downpours, maybe the occasional tornado, you know, but they're baby tornadoes compared to what just went through Kentucky, Tennessee area. Oh, so I went there this past week. Uh, it's what, Sunday? Right. There are some things you can never prepare for. A tornado is one of them. 
Like, if you know you're in an area where tornadoes come through pretty regularly, then you're going to want to put your house in someplace low where you can, you know, you don't want to be surrounded by a whole lot of trees or things like that. But it literally looks like somebody took a steamroller three quarters of a mile wide and just ran straight over everything. Yeah, I believe it. I There's no some devastating her, uh, tornadoes yeah. in my time. There is no preparing for something like that. Now, the only uh, the, uh, okay. There's no prepping for it. Now there is, you know, preparation. So you want to have a place where you can go. If you're in an area where tornadoes are common, you want to have a place to go for shelter and you want to build accordingly. And you want to know how to survive. Like you find, if you're in the open, you find a ditch and lay down or something along those lines. But remember the best laid plans of mice and men are bound to go awry. No matter how well you prepare for a situation, there's always going to be some freak incident that you're going to have to change your plan. Yep. So be adaptable is the other thing. Improvise, adapt, and overcome. Right. What? No, I was just I was just thinking about all the people that had been displaced by that here in, in Kentucky. And then I, I I know we don't normally talk about politics when we do right. a prepping episode, but I'd like to point out that all the politicians, you know. And the Senate and the House of Representatives that are making fun of Kentucky and said, well, Kentucky, you know, voted against the uh, economic relief package is like, yeah, that's different than than a state of emergency. The, the economic situation we're in is something you all created. This is an actual you know, state of emergency. We couldn't control it unless you believe the Q-tards and then they control the weather. But no, just remember that whenever you're looking at a, a location, you have to look at the weather. Easiest way to do that, you can get a farmer's almanac or something like that. Just look at the historical patterns for the last, I don't know, what, five years? Look for the old people. Yeah, if you get a chance, talk to the old timers. They know everything. The old people will tell you when the worst happened. Like, if I, if somebody had told me before I moved here, right, about snow in Florida, I would have laughed at them. But <laughs> I sit here and I... I listened to the old people and they said it snows here more often than people think. Just it doesn't stick or uh, it happens in the middle of the night and it doesn't show up on radar as snow. That's fine, but it does. Like I have friends, uh, acquaintances, uh, mentors when it comes to gardening and they would give me tips how to know, how to read the weather, how to read the, the winter. Uh, where I live, pecan trees are the sages of wisdom. Pecan trees are the smart trees. You didn't know that? When, if you want to know when, when the time to start putting out your garden and planting in the last risk of frost, pay attention to the pecan tree. The pecan tree is not fooled by fake warm spells that happen and then there's a surprise freeze. Pecan trees have this innate ability within them that they are never surprised. And when they start to shed their trees, when they start to shed their leaves, right, you know that you're about to get your first frost. Or when winter is about to get bad. The pecan trees are the smart trees. Huh. See, I don't have any pecan trees that grow here, so I, I did not know that. That's actually pretty smart. Same thing in the winter. You can start putting out your crops once the pecan tree starts to put out its first leaves because you know that at that point there's no more frost. I mean, unless it's an absolute freak frost, but usually the pecan trees are who tell you the truth. Oh, we have something similar here with the persimmons. Like you can tell when the first frost is getting close is because the persimmons start ripening. Ripening. As you can, have you ever tried eating a persimmon before it's been hit with frost? No. Okay, it will turn your face inside out with how sour and bitter it is. It's absolutely disgusting. But they'll start when they start getting soft. You can tell that the frost is about to hit because once the frost hits it, it hits it one time. They become one of the sweetest fruit you've ever eaten. It's the weirdest thing, but that's that's how I was uh, how I was taught up here. 
you could pretty much tell once it starts to get a little soft, you got about a week before frost hits. Hmm. Interesting. But it's weird. I didn't know that about the pecans, though. That's actually something. Mother Nature knows. <laughs> Mother Nature knows best, but uh, sometimes she likes to fuck with you. Yeah. Well, I think we've covered shelters. I mean, it's kind of hard to actually tell people how to build a shelter on a podcast. And if you all are curious, send us a message. I have more than happy. And I know Odin has a bunch of designs that you could use as well. Like, I don't mind telling you, but I, what I would tell you the best, easiest way to, to think of this is learn how to make a open face lean to and how to make a simple tent. With those two things, you can make just about anything. Yeah. And if you don't have trees, learn to make a debris pile. Because that's what works. Then right. you won't catch me if, if, I, if I don't have to. Unless I'm having to cross planes, you will never catch me any place where there aren't trees. Okay. <laughs> it's just one of my things. I was like, I want trees. <laughs> I get it. But people who live in the desert don't necessarily have that option. Move. Get out of the desert. <laughs> Deserts are f- deserts suck, okay? Look, hey, it's, look it's, it's like California degrees. California literally is a desert held back by sprinkler system. The moment that the water runs out, that place will turn into a desert again. Fair. But the only place that's decent is what Yosemite and on that side of it. <laughs> I mean, Northern California can be green. And we're talking north of uh, San Francisco. But you've crossed ecosystems at that point. And let's put it this way. When the apocalypse comes and San Francisco gets taken out, wait a couple decades and then it'll be the most fertile soil on the planet because of all the human shit that will have <laughs> built up this <laughs> that is so sad but so true don't laugh human compost has been around a long time oh it has human animal compost like for the garden here uh we've used i know we're getting a little off topic when we talk about food here but there was a dairy farm right down the road, um, and we used to put what's called a honey wagon, and we would we would cover it with about six to seven inches of manure, and then I'd plow it under. Right before right before you're done for the year, when you we used to grow broccoli plants, we would grow bro- heads of broccoli that were probably all. Uh, I'll try to get a picture for you sometime. But when I say that they were this big, I'm not lying. I have pictures of me holding up broccoli that's almost a foot and a half across. Yeah. I mean, human waste is different than bovine manure because to properly process basically any type of manure, but specifically uh, we had to use human waste. Oh, no, that's horrible. But natural, natural compost because we're talking about stuff that you know, you don't want to waste not want not thing, right? Anything that comes Fair. from dogs or is meat, like if you process chickens, you can compost it, but you have to get it above a certain temperature uh, for it to cook, to kill off that bacteria. Because if not, then bad things happen. But we can talk about composting later, too. So I'm kind of looking forward to our next episode, as long as no you know fucked up news cycles happen. I, I'm kind of looking forward to that alternative growing. Well, the the next one is probably going to come out later today. Yeah, later today. And it will be discussing Biden's speech and any craziness that happened. And then we'll do a prepping episode after that because we're probably going to need to decompress. So, <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. But again, guys, when it comes to prepping episodes, I mean, even the current events are politics, but especially on the prepping side of it. Send us a message. We're more than happy to answer questions, or if you have suggestions, yes, we're more than happy to take it, because no man is an island. No man knows everything. You can also rate us on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify now. They finally opened up the ability to rate episodes, so give us a a rating. Uh, Communicate with us. We are on TikTok. Uh... I forget what my TikTok channel is. Shows you how often I get on it. 
I do get alerts, so I'll check on it then. I put uh, Odin Odin's winner's call or winner's call Odin. Winner's call Odin. Yeah, that's it. And we're on Instagram. Uh, we're on Apple Podcast. Uh, here, probably starting in January, we're going to have one video episode. Oof. Ha, ha, ha. One video episode uh, a week. Um, Are you sure they can handle all, handle all this good looking? I'm going to be behind a mask, so it's all good. Just kidding. Wait, how come you get a mask and I don't? Son of a... Because <laughs> I'm prepared. No, um, but we'll do uh, live episodes once a week. Um, but we're still going to keep <clears throat> coming at you with uh, podcasts. Uh, hopefully one a day, give or take. Things are kind of crazy now, right now with the holidays, uh, but after the first year, we're not stopping. We're not having a winter break. I know all of these other podcasts are like they're so fucking famous that they can go let the world burn for two weeks. But And had it been any other year, maybe we might have. We might have. <laughs> but we have seen shit accelerate on a rate to which we've never seen before. So we will I'll be honest with you. When we first started, like you and I haven't known each other. What? We're coming up on a year. A year? Yeah. But when we first started talking about this about a year ago, I don't think either one of us, uh, like we talked about how bad it could get. And we're not even to that point yet. Like uh, we, we predicted it get a lot worse, but I don't think either one of us predicted that it would happen this fast. Do you remember my nightmare dream that I, my plan? Yeah, yeah, you've read it on here and it still freaks me out, okay? Because it's too fucking accurate. It's even more accurate now than it was months <laughs> no. ago. I haven't added anything to it and it's getting more and more accurate. It's like, if I hit delete, will it go away? Somebody get a hold of whatever, you know, cursed SCP ink you're using because you need to rewrite the story. <laughs> Never. But no, I mean, it's it's gotten to a point, and that's why I like doing these prepping episodes because we can talk to you all until we're blue in the face right? about how waking up, about tyranny. But eventually you're going to have to, you're going to have to learn how to do without, and how to survive. When we talk about the rule of threes, and I always throw in the three seconds without, you can only survive three seconds without hope. Because the moment that you have no hope, you stop fighting. You stop trying to survive. And you just die. On the inside first, and then on the outside. We hope that by doing the prepping episodes, we give you that hope to carry on, that you can do this, that it's not going to be... I mean, it may be the end of the world, but it's not going to be the actual end of the world, right? That there is hope at, because prepping should never be approached. Prepping and survival should never be approached out of fear. It should be in hope for things to come. In hope that your family survives. Hope that, you know, things will eventually get back to a comfort level that you're used to. It is that hope, you know, and... You know, we talk about games and stuff like that. That's morale, not hope. Hope is the ability to push through in spite of the fear, knowing that you'll come out the other side. And the reason that is so important is that no matter how dark it gets, no matter how bad it gets, that next step brings you one step closer to returning things to normal or making it better than it was before. Each day, each step, you have to have that goal, that driving, that driving force. No matter uh, that, it will get better. You will make it better. Because remember what we said: no one's coming to save you. Correct. But if you have the ability to save yourself, then what are you scared of? And then it allows you to sit here and assist others. And you you avoid that break from humanity that they're trying to push right now. That you can treat other people as human beings. You can be that hero. You can be that white knight. That somebody who's not ready to take that next step, take that next step. I will be honest with you. And a lot of people are not going to like this. But when you're first starting out and you're first getting prepared and, and, and shit hits the fan, it's you and yours. 
No one else matters. Fair. There is a period. There is a period of time to have the beast, or we refer to it as the monster. But there, there is a time and a place to have that monster unleashed for survival. But you have to remember that you need to put that back on its leash and return back to, I guess, civilization would be a way to say it. Humanity. No, you need to return to your humanity because once the survival period has passed, once you are in a stable position, and then you can start to grow. Then you can start to help more people. Once you are secured, right? And I and I say this because I I hear so many people go, well, we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna grab, you know, so and so and so and so. And I know my neighbors would never turn against me. No. In a survival shit hits the fan situation, it is you and yours versus the world. Yeah. Until you reach that point where you're steady, you're solid, you're growing, you're strong enough that you can help yourself and then others. Don't forget that. Fair. All right. And with that, thank you for joining us on another episode of Winter's Call. I'm Odin. This is Tear. And... Y'all be safe out there. The preceding podcast is brought to you by Heimdall, Keeper of the Bifrost.